CBS Radio Mystery Theater presents... Oh, what was 
think? Something Paul should know about. Serious? Yes. Look, I don't know when I'll be home. Oh, why not? After Paul hears what I have to say to him, I think he'll want to go back to the lab with me. Darling, what is it? It's a problem. I understand it's a problem, but what about? I can't tell you, Rita. This is something that belongs to Paul, and he's entitled to know first. Now, I better get going. You look so nervous and upset. Oh, I guess I am. Darling, maybe you shouldn't drive. Let me go with no, you. No, no. Paul won't want anyone else around. Melvin, you make this sound as if it's the end of the world. For some people, it might very well be. Now, promise me you'll drive carefully. I always drive carefully. Not when you're this nervous. Promise? Why did you come? 
He could have phoned and said, no, Paul, we have to have a talk. On Sunday? I understand you actually went into the lab this morning. Is that true? Yes. What am I going to do with you, Melvin? You refuse to behave like a rich man. Are you going to be a little insecure chemist for the rest of your life? I'm not going to be rich, Paul. What do you mean you're not going to be rich? Do you know what your royalties in Alderaan will amount to? Paul, Alderaan has to be recalled. What? What do you mean? I'm still in a state of shock myself. Uh, just tell me. It simply isn't ready. What do you mean it isn't ready? Some of it. Not all of it. But here and there, a batch of it breaks down into... Well, it's a complex chemical. All right, come to the point. It's basically a fatty acid that can be fatal. All right. Let's start panic. What you're telling me is that we have a batch that for some reason was improperly formulated. No, that's not what I'm telling you. I'm saying that we can get a batch or run whatever, 5 to 10% reacts in a completely unexpected fashion. And it can produce deadly results. Now look, Melvin, the government tested our product inside out. It passed with flying colors. It's okay. The doctors are screaming for it. It's been hailed on all sides as the antibiotic of the future. This morning I got a phone call from Jerry Scott. He was at the lab. Why? He's ambitious. He's conscientious. He was checking out some studies on the computer. He simply couldn't comprehend the readout, so he called me and I came over. Right out, I knew what it was. What was it? These were earliest Alderaan samples. You remember, Paul, we, we called it proto-Alderaan when we started five years ago? Yeah, so? Well, I found faint traces of the fatty acids then. But that doesn't have to mean that we're going to... Samples we submitted to the government were later ones. But that was a different Alderaan. No. It was the same. We just sent the, the, the newer samples, that's all. And they passed. But now those same acids are showing up. What's the percentage? I told you. Between five and ten. And what are you suggesting? Take it off the market. And bring it back into the lab until it's foolproof. Who knows about this? I do and you do. What about Scott? Well, he knows that he's getting confusing data on the computer, but he may not be aware of what it means. Not yet. You told no one else about it? No. Not even Rita? No, not even Rita. Paul, we're going to have to take it off the market. We can't take it off the market. I just told No, no, let me tell you. I went for broke on Alderaan. I sunk a fortune into it. It's what I needed to save Rutland's drug, which has been in my family for 150 years. Paul, Alderaan is not... Now, you better listen. The orders are coming in. They're pouring in. Rutland's drug is going to make millions, and so are you. I don't think you understand. I'm still talking. I was very good to you, Melvin. I appreciate that. You were knocking your brains out as a teacher. I took you on. I paid you real money. I know what you did for me. Do you? Do you also know that I saved your marriage? She's full of life, that Rita. She likes fun, parties, travel. She was in a rut as a schoolteacher's wife, ready to walk out. Huh, wasn't she? Suddenly, you tripled your salary. You started to get around. You became an exciting, important guy. So, you owe me something. Paul, what are you suggesting? 
We're in the clear. Didn't you hear what I told you? What did you tell me? That some old unused samples may have a tendency in rare cases to produce a harmful acid? <coughs> I'm a kind of human sneezing. Well, are you saying that we continue to market Alderaan? We test out perfectly. Suppose Scott hadn't been fooling around in the lab today. This would never have come to your attention. But it did. But suppose it didn't. We go on. Maybe a year from now, it'd come out that a minute percentage of Alderaan can be harmful. Fatal. We're in the clear, legally. Ethically? Ethics? Where would you find a more ethical guy than me? Work for any of the other companies. Any discovery, new product made by any employee belongs to the employer. They all have those conditions, don't they? Yes, Paul, but that... What do they give you when you discover something for them? A hearty handshake. Me? What did I tell you right off? You come up with something, you get a piece. And I've lived up to my bargain. And I appreciate that, but how much time do we have? Who knows? Six months? A year? Maybe more? Maybe less? Give me six months. What? By that time, I'm on my feet again, financially. Then we'll pull it off the market ourselves. I'm sorry, Paul. I can't go along with that. We have to withdraw Alderaan tomorrow. You really mean that, don't you? Look, at any time, anywhere, any batch of Alderaan may go bad, may become fatal. It has to be done. You do really mean that, don't you? I'm sorry, Paul. I'm sorry for both of us. Your mind's made up. There's nothing I can say to you. All it all comes down to this. A man does what he has to do. Mm-hmm. That's right. You do what you have to do. You have no choice. Yes, Melvin. You just said it. Hey, Paul. Paul, what are you... Paul, don't! You just said it. I have no choice. is a series of choices each of us is required to make. And each choice leads us inexorably to the next one. Inexorably and logically. Because once we choose the pathway, we follow it to the end, wherever it may lead us. I hope you choose to remain with us for the second act. He reached for it, took it, and I 
Yes, he dropped it. He dropped it? I think he dropped it. It was just one of those things, you know? I handed him the gun and turned away so I could pick up the 16 gauge. I didn't see. The next thing I heard, the 12 gauge went off and he, uh, he was dead. Mm. An accident. Yeah. Uh, an accident. Terrible accident. That's my fault. Your fault? Yes, Nick. He didn't care beans about duck hunting. He just came up to please me. If only I... Uh, listen, I, I... I just feel awful. Nick, I'd like to go upstairs and lie down. Is that all right? Sure. I could ask you just one question, Mr. Rutledge. Uh, of course. Uh, uh, Mr. Arvin, did he seem to act in any uh, unusual manner? Unusual? Uh, I mean, did he seem uh, nervous or upset or, you know, bothered or something? No, I wouldn't think so. Hmm. I'll have to take the guns, uh, you know, as, as evidence. Oh, please do. I don't think I ever want to look at a gun again in my life. Well, what's the story, Doc? Well, it's obvious he caught a charge from the 12 gauge. Which went off accidentally. I guess so. Well, at least that's how Paul Rutledge tells it. Now, are you implying that isn't the way it happened? Well, I don't know what I'm implying. If anything. Yes, however. Yeah. However, something just doesn't sit right. Like what? Right? Well, for instance, he told me Mel Arvin asked for the 12 gauge because he wasn't having any luck with the 16. Yeah, so? So? Yes. Here, look at it. Smell it. I think you can see the 16 gauge hasn't been fired at all. So? Well, if he hadn't fired it, he hadn't missed anything. He couldn't have had bad luck. That would mean he didn't ask for the 12. From which we must conclude that Paul Rutledge is lying. Maybe. I asked Paul if Melvin had behaved in any unusual manner, if he seemed nervous or bothered, and Rutledge said no. That's well. Well, earlier I stopped Mel for speeding. He's doing close to 100. He seemed to be distraught. About what? I stopped him on the interstate. I said, what are you trying to do, kill yourself? He said, I might as well. I'm as good as dead now. He was in a very bad way. Yet, Rutledge said there didn't seem to be anything wrong with him. Yeah. Maybe he'd recovered his composure by that time. After all, Paul was his employer. Mel might have felt that he had to maintain a certain front. Yeah, well, why should Mel have thought he was as good as dead? What did he mean by that? Well, sometimes people find themselves in moods, you know. Yeah. You're the coroner. Are you satisfied with the verdict of accidental death? Oh, Nick, you're the sheriff. Can you bring me any evidence to the contrary? I don't know. Mrs. Arvin, I appreciate how difficult a time this is for you, but... Well, when I saw your husband, he was in a very agitated state. Yes, I, I know. I shouldn't have let him drive up there. Can you tell me why he was so upset? Yes, he, he said it was... There was a problem. What kind of a problem? At the lab. Hmm. The problem that could involve Paul Rutledge? Oh, yes, very much. Well, do you know the nature of the problem? No, but he sounded so serious. You would have thought it was the end of the world. As it turned out, I... I guess it was. Well, why would your husband feel that his life was over? What do you mean by that? 
He said to me, I'm as good as dead. I don't understand. Everything was going so, so beautifully. We were going to make so much money. And then, this morning, suddenly, something awful must have happened. What? Well, he came back from the lab. All the color was drained from his face. He was walking, talking like a man in a dream. A, a nightmare. Hmm. Something had gone wrong at the lab, huh? Yes, terribly wrong. He went to the lab this morning. The Sunday morning. Yet he had a date to hunt with Paul Rutledge. And what made him go to the lab? Well, there was a call from Jerry Scott, his assistant. Uh-huh. Well, how was your husband before he left the house? Oh, he was fine. Good spirits? Yes, he was a happy man. And then when he came back, I, I don't know what it was, but it must have been something absolutely dreadful. Scott? That's right, Sheriff. And you were in the lab this morning, Sunday. Why? Well, you want to get ahead in this world. That's uh, how you score points. Hmm. And did you score any points this morning? Uh, I'm not sure. I, uh, I understand you phoned Mel Arvin at home. Yes. Why? I was checking some records on the computer, and I couldn't believe the printout. Well, I, I don't know anything about it, and you could never explain it, so I could understand it, but in a general way, what do you mean? Well, Sheriff, uh, every step in a long series of processes, oh, they ramify into hundreds of thousands. Well, it's easy, just go easy, huh? Well, they furnish a series of answers which have to check out. Well, I wasn't getting logical answers. Something was wrong. With what? With one of our procedures. Mm-hmm. You wrong enough to produce such agitation in Mel Arvin? Yes. Well, what did the computer refer to? Well, I don't know. You don't know? Or you're not telling? Well, there's very tight security around here. Well, if, if you had a guess. Off the record? Mm-hmm. It had to do with big number one. What's that? Alderaan. Alderaan? Yeah. The best, the most effective, the greatest all-around antibiotic ever made. We just got to go ahead and we're swamped. We can't turn out enough of it. Well, then was Mel Arvin depressed because it develops there was something wrong with Alderaan? Uh, how could there be anything wrong with Alderaan? Well, why was he so down? He was really set back, wasn't he? Oh, yes. Why? I don't have the faintest idea. Tell me what? Doc, Paul Rutledge killed him. 
but you can't tell me why. When Rita Arvin and Jerry Scott say that Mel was like a man at the end of his rope, I know Paul Rutledge was lying there. But you have to come up with a motive. Look, you're the coroner. You're running the inquest. Call Mrs. Arvin and Jerry Scott. And then, then you'll get the whole sense of this thing. You'll know that Paul Rutledge killed Mel Arvin. as soon as I could. Oh, I don't know what's the matter with me. I can understand. It's a shocking thing, Rita. Suddenly, our, our problem is solved. He's, he's out of the way. I haven't loved Mel in years. Why do I feel so, so terrible? Well, it's natural. He was a good person. Yes. Sensitive, kind, idealistic. He was a great man. I guess it's just guilt. We're human, Rita. We can't help ourselves. But, uh, darling, we uh, may have a problem. Why? Has anyone uh, from the police that is been here? Oh, yes, the, the, the sheriff. Nick hmm. Gorgeous. Uh, what do you want to know? Oh, things about poor Melvin's state of mind before he left for the lodge. What did you tell him? The truth. Yes? That Mel was highly upset, almost irrational. It will probably be called at the coroner's inquest. Oh, will I? Will I have to be there? Mm, yes, I'm sorry. You may have to testify. Oh, no. No, I couldn't do that. There's nothing to be afraid of. They're all local people. They all think very highly of me. But why should I have to testify? I don't know anything. Yes, you do. Oh, oh what do I know? That Mel was cheerful and full of good spirits. When he left here. But he wasn't. He was, if you say so. Is that what I have to say? I'm afraid it is. But why? This has to appear as a... as a casual one in a million accident. Now, if it comes out that Melvin was upset, agitated, people might ask, why did I permit him to shoot with me? And once you get questioning started, you can never tell where it leads. Oh. Paul, I I'm going to ask a question. How did Melvin die? The gun went off. I know. Technically, that's the truth. The gun went off. Well, then? But who was holding the gun when it went off? Who was pointing the gun when it went off? Rita. You killed him. Didn't you? Yes. I killed him. Oh. But you knew I'd kill him one day, didn't you? That I would kill him for you? Yes, but what made you do it now? Was it because of the outer one? What? I thought you didn't know about the outer one. What else could make him run out of here like a madman? All right, I'll tell you the truth. I couldn't kill him just for you. And I couldn't kill him just for the Alderaan. It needed both of you at the same time, in the same place. Now, listen. You must tell the jury that he was happy. He left directly for the lodge. He did not go to the lab at all. But Jerry Scott will tell you an entirely different story. Don't worry about it. But put Jerry on the stand. You'd be surprised, dear Rita. How cheaply you can buy the Jerry Scotts of this world. Um.
that's the way it goes. Money talks. Money talks louder than truth. Money talks and money commands. With money, you may rewrite the past, design the present, and shape the future. But not always. Sometimes when you think that money is the supreme ruler of the universe, something unexpected happens. Money is suddenly reduced to just some soft metal and fragile paper. Attend with us the third act. Does life mimic art? Or does art imitate life? Or does it matter? In stories, things can be suitably arranged for an author's convenience and a reader's desire. Poets, dramatists, novelists, make things happen. They decide who lives, who dies, who shall be rich, who shall be poor, who wins the fair lady, and who loses her. And yet, what a writer can do with just a few words on paper, powerful, unscrupulous men may carry off in real life. Now, uh, Mrs. Arvin, just what happened on Sunday morning? Sunday? Oh, yes. Well, my husband got up early. He had this appointment with Mr. Rutledge. They were going duck hunting on Mr. Rutledge's estate. Well, he had his breakfast and left the house, and that is the last I... I that's all I know. Uh, just a moment. You have something to say, Sheriff? Uh, may I ask the witness a question, Doc? Uh, go right ahead. Uh, Mrs. Arvin, didn't your husband receive a telephone call? Uh, a call? Yes, from the lab. And didn't he go there? No, he... He didn't receive a call from the lab, and why would he go to the lab on Sunday? Mrs. Arvin, when I spoke to you, you told me that Jerry Scott had called him from the lab. I did? Yes, Mrs. Arvin. Well, how could I say a thing like that? It, it simply isn't true. Doc, I'd like the court to call Mr. Jerry Scott. Mrs. Scott, you realize you're under oath? Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir, indeed. All right, then. Now, where were you on Sunday? Where? Yes. Well, most of the morning in Culver Park. I go jogging every Sunday. Were you at the laboratory that morning? No. I mean, why Why would I go there on a Sunday? Kill the weekend. Mr. Scott, you remember that I spoke to you? Oh, yes, Sheriff, I do. I most certainly do. You remember you told me you'd go into the lab... No, sir. I most certainly didn't. Well, you, you insist you didn't go into the laboratory and find something wrong that caused you to call Mel Arvin? Sheriff, I can't imagine where you get that idea. Uh, Mr. Rutledge, you claim Mel Arvin said he had no luck with a 16-gauge and therefore he wanted to try your 12. Yes, sir. Oh, excuse me. I caught a bad cold Sunday morning in the duck blind. I can't seem to shake it. But the examination of the 16 gun just an hour after the death of Mr. Arvin proved it had not been recently fired. Uh, what Melvin actually said was, I never have any luck with a 16. And that's why he didn't even want to bother with it. Yeah. And you, you claim he didn't seem to be distressed in any way. No, he was quite relaxed and happy. Uh -huh. 
He said nothing about having been to the lab. No, nothing at all. Nothing about problems with any of the uh, of the products. No, not at all. Now, Sheriff, we seem to be going round and round with these witnesses. If you have got anything new to bring up, please do so. Otherwise, I shall have to ask the jury to leave and consider their verdict. Ladies and gentlemen of this coroner's jury, have you reached your verdict? We have, Your Honor. We find death was due to the accidental discharge of a firearm. Hi, Sheriff. Hi. What do you have? <laughs> what can I have? I'm on duty. Uh, how'd you like me yesterday? First time in my life I was ever on a jury. And foreman. I mean, four person at that. <laughs> Mary, wasn't there any doubt in anybody's mind? Doubt about what, Nick? Well, about anything. Nick, we've been friends a long time, so a, a word to the wise. Lay off. Lay off? Lay off what? People are starting to talk. They noticed it. You better explain. Were you actually out to get Paul Rutledge? Get him? It sure did look that way. Oh, I believe I had... Well, I still have a duty to perform. Sure. But it seems you were trying to prove that Paul murdered Mel Arvin. He did? Nick. Look, I was the last one to see Mel Arvin alive, besides Paul. Mel was a wreck. Nick, listen to me. In, in, in a minute. I may be wrong about the motive. What motive? Well, I figured it had something to do with the laboratory. The way I doped it out, Mel uncovered something that could only mean a disaster. Maybe, well, maybe Paul had to kill him to keep it quiet. You're really going on, aren't you? And then suddenly, as I saw the two of them in the courtroom... The two of whom? Paul and Rita Arvin. What about Paul and Rita Arvin? They're a pair. They're a combination. Come on, Nick. Mary, look. You're a woman. You're supposed to be alert to these things. You mean you look at Paul and Rita and you don't see anything there? Huh? Maybe that's why Paul killed him. Why do you keep saying Paul killed him? Because of Rita. He wanted Melvin out of the way. Okay. Now you hear me out. What you have is a lot of fancy speculation. I know I'm right. I've caught every one of these people in a lie. You don't have one shred of proof. Let me tell you what I heard Joe Soames say here last night at the bar. Joe Soames? Joe was saying, well, something like, Nick is too young to be sheriff. Well, I'm 41 years old. He said that you're bored. There's no action here. So when something like this happens, you try to squeeze all the juice out of it you possibly can, even if there isn't any to begin with. Why is it so clear to me and to nobody else? Because nobody wants to believe Paul Rutgers could do anything wrong. Nick, you weren't born here. You're an outsider. I've lived here 20 years. You're still a stranger. The Rutledges are original settlers here. The Rutledges were always millionaires. But they always loved this place. They always helped the folks hereabouts. <laughs> Nobody went hungry if the Rutledges knew about it. Now, if some poor kid was smart... The Rutledges fixed it for him to go to college. And who do you think sent Doc to med school? Paul's father. I know, I'm aware of all that. And what about jobs? 
There's always a job at Rutledge Drug for anyone who's out of work. But I only know I have a duty to perform. Uh oh. People are blind when it comes to the faults of any Rutledge. Blind, deaf, and dumb. Well, what am I supposed to do? Even if you're right. Even if Paul Rutledge did, as the lawyers say, willfully and with malice aforethought, shoot and kill Melvin Arvin. Nobody here wants to know about it. <laughs> now, where are you going? Over to see Doc. What for? Well, he's an officer of the law. I hope I can get a straight answer from him. <laughs> I did what I had to do. 
I know I'll never do anything like it again. Don't go for evidence, clues, leads, whatever, because nothing exists. You really believe that? It's true. Look, I may be a fool, a sucker, naive, but I believe in justice. I believe you're going to pay for it. In the end, you're going to pay. <laughs> Such a belief brings you comfort. Cling to it, by all means. Now, uh, you must excuse me. I'm, I'm not well. I would like to get some rest. I'm sure you can let yourself out. Goodbye, Nick. Goodbye, Mr. Rutledge. For now.
drug that has a beneficial and healing property, but after a while, you discover it also creates problems. As it is in medicine, so it is in every human relationship. Whatever you do, no matter how noble your intention, there's a side effect, a penalty. You build a road, it enables people to move freely, to live better, but it pollutes the air. Look, you can't have everything. Our cast included Mandel Kramer, Robert Dryden, Joe Silver, and Brian Rayburn. The entire production was under the direction of Hyman Brown. And now, a preview of our next tale. Oh, she's beautiful. Oh, yes, there's no doubt about it. And I, I would uh, have to marry her. Yes, yes, that's the only acceptable arrangement. And now you're wondering, where do I come into all this, huh? Uh, yes. Where? Well, I am best described as a bringer together. It comes to my attention that certain people have certain needs and that certain others are in a position to satisfy those needs. So uh, I then, as I've said, simply bring them together. For a fee, of course. Yes, it's called uh, a finder's fee. You would expect me to pay you? Uh, Mr. Fenris, for making it possible for you to become a king, you will pay me the sum of one million dollars. This is E.G. Marshall inviting you to return to our mystery theater for another adventure in the macabre. Until next time.